As much as I like to fight everyone, yeah, yeah. I'm having a pretty good time here. Why you mad? Why you mad? Why you Why mad? You mad? Starting. What's up? Uh, welcome back, Lisa. Oh my God! Hi, hi, Jake. How are you? Thank you, thank you. I'm happy to be <laughs> home in New York City once again. How are you doing? I'm good, man. I'm chilling. It's a Thursday night. A um, lot of stuff lined up for the weekend. I got a big week coming up. I'm uh, chilling, man. I, th- I was thinking yeah. about going and seeing that woman that pissed on that fucking guy on stage. She's playing oh, a show yeah. on Monday, but we're supposed to do podcasts during it. So, oh, but you wanted to go? Well, just for the story, I think it might be funny. I keep going back and forth about it. I might not. I mean, she's probably not going to pee on somebody again, right? That's do you the thing. Think? Just, no, she's yeah. in a ska band. Like it's not actually going to be yeah. good. Yeah, <laughs> but I saw, it. and then also there's another guy I know was playing that night. But I think I'm. Mm. Eh, I gotta work. It's fine. It's fine. I got a lot lined up. A lot of work and a lot of I'm going to shows and stuff. I mean, what's time to show? Maybe we can do like. Oh, no, it's probably not early enough, right? Because I work till like six. But I can maybe get out early. I don't know. Let's talk about it offline. But we can do, or maybe we could do Sunday because we're gonna do um, Blood In Blood Out. Yeah, going With to a Jesse? fucking show on Sunday too, man. Ah, see, bitch, you're too busy. And then I'm out of town. I can't. I can't accuse you. I'm out of town for the whatever that heathen holiday is. <laughs> yeah, American uh, specific holiday. Bloodshed holiday. Yeah, blood in, blood out. The holiday. Yeah, exactly. I think that it's perfect that we're doing blood in, blood out as our Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> We gotta talk about that with Jesse for sure, but um, I know you were on tour. You were doing a lot of shit. Were you able to watch Madres? Because Dude. I know that I like mentioned it before, but I have been dying to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, man, I I, I watched it. I'm really glad I did because you know we just we throw so much pop culture at each other on the show that it's yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes you don't actually you're like oh I forgot to watch it, but I watched it yeah. yesterday and uh, I really liked it because like I was watching it has. Uh, the shorthand, if I was going to pitch it to somebody, I'd be like, you got to watch it. It's Mexican. Get out. But it's not. But it's like kind of yeah. got some really specific uh, to Mexican-American experience things going on in a horror film that is very get out-ish. I don't know if I would yeah. say it's as pa- like it's as good of a horror film. My only problem with it was that if I was to make it, I would just crank up the horror a little bit more because like I totally. get bored during smart horror films. I'm like, no, like crank it up that's the point but um but i i had this feeling when i was watching it where i was like okay so protagonist is this woman who is like in a relationship with a guy and he's legit mexican and he's like you know (laughs) legit that's a great way to put it (laughs) (laughs) well because honestly because it's also the movie is also about like the types of latinos and how we also internalize those categories and then treat each other differently based on like what generation, how many generations you're removed from the mother country and whether or not you speak Spanish or not and how light your skin is and all this shit. Yeah. And right? there's all these anxieties that you have that yeah. they made art out of, which is fucking cool because those are yeah. real. People don't understand them. They don't get talked about much. Yeah. And, um, you know, so when I was watching it, I was like, um, Oh, this is great. Like it, like it feels like some like someone made a movie f- specifically for me, like <laughs> about things that I think about. And then I was thinking about that, and I was like, wait a minute, this must be what like 
white middle class people from New York or LA feel all like every movie. They're like, oh, another one about me. <laughs> and it's all about me. <laughs> yeah. like, and then we're like, why do these people think everything is about them? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's so funny. But they also kind of comment on that, like in the movie. Yeah. Like there's all these little clever yeah. things. Like, so they, you know, the, the woman, what's her name in the movie? I forgot. Bet- uh, it's been a minute for me. Her uh, main character, I can't remember her name. But Diana. 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 And then her yeah. husband, Beto, which is ah, Beto, funny. Yeah. Um, like, they go to this, uh, this like, barbecue or something, and then everyone's speaking Spanish, and she feels really out of place because she has to keep explaining, I don't, sorry, I don't speak Spanish because my parents, they would get punished in school if they spoke Spanish. It's literally the reason yeah. I don't spoke, just fucking speak Spanish, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And people would just, and, like, the other Mexicans will be like, oh, but you look like this. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, why would you not speak Spanish? Yeah. Or now they call you gringa, and it's like, yeah, yeah. well, if I wasn't speaking Spanish, you wouldn't call me that. Like, this is, this is why are we, we're such an interpretable yeah. fucking, like, race or ethnicity or whatever. This is bizarre, yeah. right? So I thought that was really funny, because then she, afterwards, she's explaining to Beto, like, how she's like, I didn't have a good time. I felt like a fucking outsider. And he has this really clever mm-hmm. line where he goes, you get used to it, you know? And yeah, because it's like, how do you think I feel all the time? It's a, <laughs> because the thing is, he, so to clarify, he's first generation, not even first generation. Like, he literally emigrated a few years ago, and that's when he met her and they got married. Yeah. And she is the daughter of immigrants. So she's American and legal and went to school in English and because of the stigma around speaking Spanish in public, which you literally still feel now, she was not taught Spanish yeah. as a kid. And he's super yeah. dark skinned and yeah. she's like, she does it because she's, she's lighter, but looks Mexican. Yeah. You know, so that's she's the like walks between two worlds character. But I do understand I have friends, like close friends that do not understand yeah. that I'm Mexican. I've had like screaming in their faces over and over <laughs> again. And I'm like some people yeah. who have super Americanized brain when it comes to race are like, no, you literally it's the color that I see when I look at your skin. Yeah. Like for her, my friend would look at her and go, what are you talking about? You're white. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's interesting because you're like seeing the gradients of this the thing that is defined by in multiple ways by skin color and by like generation and by language you speak and stuff like that class and sort of yeah position in society i guess i should say right because she's like kind of like she's like an english teacher or something she's like talking about she's a journalist so she went to college so she's the first person in her family to go to college which is like a thing i identify with but then she like quote wasted it by being a journalist and trying to like go after doing good with her words and shit instead of becoming a doctor or whatever. Right. Know, and her what parents supposed to be like, yeah, her mom's always giving her shit for like marrying yeah. a farmer or whatever. And that comes for up. marrying a farmer. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that comes up in their relationship all the time yeah. and stuff. Um, so like just thematic wise, man, I was watching this. I was like, ah, oh, man, fucking great. And then also, so it's a, horror film like it's like a ghost story which is awesome because most ghost stories are super white right like the genre is basically white family moves into a house literally the premise of the ghost is that it was like a native american or something like that it's all metaphor for (laughs) white shit uh i was really glad an italian (laughs) servant (laughs) yeah i was really glad i watched the conjuring recently before this i watched it last month and uh because that's like a lot of uh white people's like you go to like when i was asking on social media like oh what's a good horror film i should watch a lot of people were like 
fucking watch The Conjuring. And not to go back with a fine tooth comb and go, what race were these people? But like, I mean, I feel like it spoke to like a just a like something I can't place about it. I feel like it's it's racial. Like, why why so many? Because that movie was like a super white family being haunted by. Uh, I, I just feel like thematically the ghost story thing is like like you you can almost you hear stand up comedy bits about this sometimes yeah. where like a black comic will be like ghosts don't ha- haunt the projects they don't haunt apartments you know stuff like that yeah. uh, this is related to anxieties that you have over s- experiences that are kind of specific to like owning a home <laughs> which is like not something I can relate to you know yeah <laughs> well but there it's also though pretty Mexican. In like, okay, so like people who are not Mexican, if you've seen like Coco now and stuff like that, like I think it's like, mm. stu- have you seen Coco? I, 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 you know? I never finished it, but I, I've. Oh, it's pretty great. It's pretty great. But like, uh, what's interesting about it is that Mexican uh, culture and folklore and point of view is making the mainstream in America now. Yeah. Like, you know, I think it, it was always a huge niche, I guess, but like is now making the mainstream in the sense of like the the world view is projected in some of these things so like in madres the ghost story was like generational in the way that like mexicans believe that the generations of your family stay living within you and some mexicans i should say (laughs) right and keep altars and shit to like the previous generations of their family because on dia de los muertos that's a day when they can commune back with all the generations etc so it's like uh um some kind of belief that you are connected to all of these ancestral ghosts that do exist and and cross boundaries between time and space and visit you sometimes basically right i don't know is that me generalizing about the los muertos and all that shit no 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 i don't think right and so then uh in madres uh i mean i don't know if we want to skip to the end yet but like they go so she they get married right and she gets pregnant and at the same and when she gets pregnant she she loses her job as a journalist or whatever and they kind of like uh, imply that it's, you know, discrimination against women and it's because she's pregnant and whatever. And so he gets this, quote, better job at this in this place outside of L.A. as a farmer, but he's going to be a manager. So he gets this house. So when they go to the haunted, like the house that ends up being like kind of haunted and weird and full of shit, it literally is because there have been multiple families who lived there before them who then were victimized in the way that they are almost victimized. Right. right? And so it's like, uh, it, it harkens to the ghost story and like the whole fucking like Mexican, all your, all your ghosts of your past and your ancestors in there. But it also is like an obvious allegory for the systematic, like the systemic abuse and destruction of the working class that happens in America and of immigrants. Right. right? It's really beautifully and brilliantly written story because there's this constant conflict where all of the like more, you know, Mexican people in the like that conflict is central to this woman not feeling like she's in touch with her roots. Right. The people that are like more freshly, like recently from Mexico are, saying oh it's a curse and you have to use this you know curandera stuff to protect yourself from the yeah. curse and she's like you know go to a doctor go to a doctor <laughs> yeah. and she's like yeah. doing all this like science and stuff to try yeah. to figure out what's actually happening and it's like is it 
one or the other? Is it both? You know, is it like, yeah. is one just a fucking way of understanding the other? It's, it's cool. It kind of helps you like bridge that gap or whatever. And like, one thing I thought was great about it was that, um, the egg thing, like, I've never seen it actually in a movie, but that's like a, like, I don't know if that that's a Colombian thing or whatever. It was a hella Mexican thing the where you rub an oh, egg yeah. on somebody. Um, yeah, I've had people in my family do that and shit, and we always yeah. joke about it and stuff. And like in Texas, when I was doing stand up, it was a big thing with Mexican comics all joke about, yeah. you know, fucking throwing eggs at each other, rubbing eggs yeah. on each other and shit. Um, that it was just cool to see that in a movie. Like, I know I'm always like, yeah. oh, representation isn't that important or whatever, but like, it is cool to see something. It is cool. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we were like, I was we made it i don't know uh but <laughs> yeah no and it's it's like uh being acknowledged as part of the human experience right yeah so i thought the the story yeah. was really brilliant because it like it really examined and played with these tensions and they you know they have this thing where she starts she's pregnant and she starts to have like pains and hallucinations and stuff and she starts to suspect oh i think it's from the pesticide they're using at the farm which, uh, yeah. but then somebody points out, well, you don't go to the farm. It's only the men that go to the farm. How would this yeah. be a thing that happens to women? Which is also, I think, really clever because yeah. if you're talking about like scientifically, even generational trauma, that's a real thing that like, so I was just reading this study and, uh, that's, or I was reading this book that talks about the studies in this book called the body keeps the score. It's very popular. It's about, um, PTSD and like a lot of the stuff like neuropsychology and shit like that, biopsychology and whatnot. Um, and like one of the things they talk about is how like men who are traumatized can pass down their trauma like to their children. But it, what's crazy about that is that it's passed through the mother because the, the guy doesn't parent like the child in most like parent situations mm -hmm. the way the mother does, especially early, early yeah. on. So it's it's like him fucking transferring because he's all wobbly and fucked up from you know living through 9-11 or whatever his shit to the mother who then she's healthy but she just serves as a conduit to where it gets like statistically like it kind of proves statistically like yeah all these men who like lived through vietnam or whatever even if they had healthy wives yeah. or, you know they still somehow transferred the stuff to their kids. So like in the movie with them going, but you're not in the fields. It's like, yeah, it still kind of moves through people that way. It's fucking yeah. weird. I don't know if that's exactly what they were going for, but that, I mean, it might be. Um, and it was, yeah, I don't know. That all sounds like weird science to me, but they did also have like the shots of the women who were working because when the woman who said that to her said that it was like also kind of like a dig at her for not being like a worker you know, right, right, yeah. Like, like you have so much free time to be worried about what is in the pesticides, but you're like not out there actually toiling and working. You know, so it's like a dig at her for being like white. Right, right, right. I forgot that they, yeah, that they did work out there. So yeah, this whole thing uh, that she starts to figure out is like, oh, it's happened. Like, there's like no Mexican people having kids. Um, yeah and, at the party there's like one couple with a kid yeah and they're like just eight, eight or something and there's no babies which honestly not to be a stereotype but that's weird yeah um it this is why i think this is why this movie kind of made me think about get out because there's that party scene where the, all of this yeah. stuff is happening that you then look back totally. on and go oh my god all of these things meant of this secret conspiracy that we don't yeah. know about until later and it's revealed like a almost like in like a rosemary's baby kind of way or something so yeah at the party she doesn't realize everyone's like oh you're having a baby cool yeah i had one but i can't anymore mm, yeah you know? she doesn't really understand why 
because that scene is so about something else, you know, it's, it's good. It's, you don't really think about it until later. Um, yeah, totally. So then what's, you know, she starts hallucinating and stuff and then trying to investigate it. And she comes up with this theory that it's the pesticide, but then she goes and finds like, uh, Oh, this happened in another town at Arbington. Ridiculous fictional town <laughs> <laughs> um, i thought it was very texas honestly arlington is arbington sounds like it was where arby's is from yeah that's what i think that's oh, <laughs> <laughs> um so then she goes to that town and she realizes like uh th- there was a period where or no she sends fucking beto there while she's like doing something else and he right. starts to realize that she's onto something because well she's in a clinic because she's having some kind of false contraction. Okay, don't act like she was just doing like pottery. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so he figures out like that. Oh my gosh, yeah. That there were there was a period where there weren't any Mexican children born in this town, and like what was going on there? So he goes and interviews a doctor. The doctor goes, "Oh, I don't know. That was all happening in the previous doctor's t- tenure." Who I yeah. I don't have any of his information, but here's his card, and he realizes, oh, this is the doctor who's treating my wife. So this guy dun, dun, dun. has been moving from town to town, leading like a fucking forced sterilization effort against Mexicans, right? Right. And that's this big reveal, and then she like wakes up, they gas her, and she wakes up, and she's like, you know, fucking restrained to an operating table, and they're gonna like sterilize her and shit. And big, big climax of the movie, and there's, like, a fight, and Beto shows up, and he fucking, spoilers, I guess, everyone, uh, he fights the doctor, and they sort of, like, help her, you know, escape from the situation, and, and uh, it's really scary, because this doctor who was friendly earlier, who's a white guy, suddenly mm-hmm. you're, like, hearing him go, look, you found the secret, but fuck you, we're just gonna kill you, and, you know, the baby will survive. And he's even like, why couldn't you have just believed the stupid uh, curse thing, like all the other dumb Mexicans or whatever? Yeah, so I yeah. thought... This is like on paper, like a really good horror story, but like I, for me, I, I don't know. It's too. If I, I want to remake this movie and just make it like gory, right? Yeah, I don't know. And like actually, I don't even. Yeah, gore. Like gore is good. I was just thinking, yeah. like this reminded me of Hereditary. But in Hereditary, when I mm-hmm. watched that movie in the theaters, like when the twist happened, we were all like screaming, like, "Holy shit!" Yeah. You know. So I, yeah. and like The Conjuring was also pretty alarming. And so I guess when I watch movies like this, I'm like, man, great story, totally, and I'm like way sympathetic to it because I'm yeah. like I'm into what it's about. But uh, you can convey these ideas even harder if you combine that with really fucking scary storytelling and shit. That's my only critique of it, I guess. Really dig into it. I mean, well, for me, I agree with you, but I even more than like aesthetically not thinking it was like horror-y enough. It was more the ending annoyed me with the like slides on the history of, uh, you know, the way that society has... uh, in various times, including last year, <laughs> uh, forcibly sterilized Latinos in uh, captivity or whatever the fuck. But um, even besides, whatever. Like, I do think it ended weird because it would be like, imagine if, like, Get Out had ended with, like, slides about the Tuskegee experiment and, like, you know what I mean? Like, that's fucking weird. It's just, you take it out of it being um, art that speaks for itself into, like, having to have a postscript 
that clarifies what you were trying to say as though we didn't, you know, it's like explaining your joke afterwards. Yeah. It means, you, it means your joke didn't do well. <laughs> you it know what seems I mean? like, like so. a cop out. This is, but yeah. I, so there are movies that end like this that are like kind of like, I think you could still make this critique of, but they're well liked. Yeah. Like Black Klansman kind of ended like this, where right, like yeah. it just suddenly you're like, where's the story happening? Everything freezes and then it just sort of like turns to, to this like, it, it does have kind of an intense effect if you go with it and read it the mm -hmm. way they want you to, which is like, wow, we're pulling out of this fictional story and like into the real world or whatever. And it yeah. wasn't fiction because of what we're telling you. But also, um, I just watched Do the Right Thing and it kind of does that well. But it, mm. Do the Right Thing, have you ever seen it? It ends. I do, but I don't remember it very well right now. It ends like the movie ends and then yeah. they're there's this really cool thing that happens, which is they put a Martin Luther King quote on the screen about um, how, you know, pacifism is the only way to blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you're sitting there and you're going, huh, was that the message of this film? Because it was kind of an amb ambiguous story. I guess Martin yeah. Luther King's cool. And then this Malcolm <laughs> X quote fades in and it's the real ending of the film where it's this Malcolm uh, X quote contradicting the MLK yeah. quote. And it's like, you know, violence is fucking the only way to get shit done sometimes yeah. or whatever. And you then it ends. And then you kind of go, which one did they want me to go? Okay. It's like the, the film's it's asking a question. Dialogue. Yeah. But I think it works because it's like the film actually ends kind of before that ha it yeah. happens. Like this does seem like a cop out the way it just. I mean, overall, I like it. But uh, before we walk away from Madis, um I don't remember his name. Oh, I do remember his name because they was so weird about it. Uh, Thomas. Yeah. Spelled, th spelled Thomas, but pronounced Thomas. <laughs> he, to me, was the most interesting character in the whole movie. Totally. Jake. Right? And here's the thing, because, like, he, uh, how to put it, like, if the doctor who was sterilizing Mexican women in towns where there were a lot of Mexican workers and their families um, represents like systemic oppression and racism and inequality and horror, right? Then what Thomas represents is the individual's choice within that system. You understand me? Yeah. Because Thomas is a guy who is similar to everyone that works with him. You know, he's like a Mexican guy, but he's like third third generation or second generation, I guess, at this point. And his grandfather was one of these guys that came for the cowboy program or whatever. And so he's like legal and he's light skinned and he prefers to have his name pronounced in the Anglo way. And he doesn't speak Spanish, right? Remember? So, like, at the beginning, he... So, he's, like, the overseer. I don't know what you call it. Like, the head manager of the of the farm, right? Yeah. And he hires Beto. And when he hires him, he, like, takes him around for a tour. And he introduces him to the other Mexican workers. All of whom, like, they all greet each other in Spanish. And Thomas goes, oh, you know, I think this is going to go great. They're going to love having you, a real Mexican, as their boss better than me, you know, because you'll speak to them in their language or whatever. So, like, you already start to see this, like, sort of internalized, like, Thomas doesn't feel like he's one of them, but then also, like, he has internalized, like, I'm better than you because I'm in a better position than you and I don't even need to be at the level. Like, now I'm at the level of manipulating another 
Mexican worker to be my proxy. You get me? And then, so then he's like the one who, through his individual choices, is bettering himself and being selfish within the system and like progressing, but it's directly at this, at the loss of people like him and like his father and like his grandfather. Yeah. You know what I mean? So then it's almost like, Oh, who's actually the real bad guy. I don't know. Like, yeah, obviously the system is the bad guy, but like, damn dude, we all have to look at ourselves and question whether or not we're behaving like that Thomas, you know, like, I don't think it's a mistake that he's named Thomas. Yeah. Well, I think that what's really yeah. great about the way the story unfolds is that in that climax scene where they're trying to sterilize her and then Beto shows up and he fucking stabs the doctor with his own scalpel and shit. And he saves uh, Diana. Is that her name? Uh, yeah. He he's you know, he's saved the day and he's like getting her out of the restraints on the fucking sterilization bed and shit. And then all of a sudden somebody busts in the fucking door and shoots him. And it's Thomas. And yeah. like that reveal, I think, was like great. Like to me, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is thank God they wrapped up this detail. Like, I like, think that's the real reveal, not the fucking sterilization shit. Like right. they went too long with the stupid like the women talking in the overhead projector bullshit. <laughs> you know, it's like I don't know. The real Well yeah, because if the reveal story was Thomas yeah. was just you know, if it was just get out, if it was just like, yeah. you know, race is this fucking thing where, you know, you've got white supremacy, like that is part of the story for sure. Yeah. But what a lot of like, especially like, you know, liberal sort of framings of racism, like lose is the Thomas characters and like yeah. the the three dimensionality of it because like, I, you know, there was moments in this movie where I was like, all right, we're just going to get like these wooden racist characters that are in every movie now where there's like some guy like, uh, the, Oh, the doctor, the doctor is a white guy. Where it's cut and dry evil. Yeah. And he says like, you know, no spick is going to procreate in my town or whatever. And yeah. you're like, yeah. Okay. Oh. So he is the protagonist uh-huh. of a horror film. I guess it's like I just to me that that line came off like really um, disingenuous because yeah. um, like that word is like old timey. Like I have not heard a lot of people legitimately use that word in my life. Uh, I don't but know. The you. movie takes place in the seventies. So oh, I guess maybe. it does. It's yeah. you know it's so well shot. I keep forgetting. I was yeah. Like, okay. Yeah. So that's actually why I thought it was interesting because, like, of all the Mexican people that I know, like, I think it's about your parents. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't think it's about you. It's about their experience coming and, like... Yeah, totally. Different levels. Like, I don't know if levels and <laughs> versions of Mexicans and then being, like, having to... Levels. For the first time, I guess, like, <laughs> levels. Yeah, Level exactly. Five. Like a video game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Having to, like, I guess, for the first time, really, like, place themselves within whiteness and within, uh, like, this legal and not legal well, structure. And, yeah. Let me, to get just uh, the point I was making about that word is, yeah. uh, it maybe like, kind of, for a second, get disappointed. Like, oh, this movie's, like, another kind of, like... Well, you know, black and white, like, oh, racism's bad, fucking liberal mm-hmm. horror movie. 
which are, you know, they're fine, but like, just not that nuanced or interesting. Um, I think the reason I thought I kept forgetting it was, it was, this movie takes place in the past is because I just thought, oh, it's a border town and lots of border towns are still kind of in the past, right? But uh, but that makes sense. The context of why the white guy used that old ass word, because that's like calling somebody like a honky or something. Like you hear it in stand up, but you're like, nobody actually fucking says it. But um, what happens immediately after that is when Thomas busts in the room, he then uses a very specific word. He calls someone a wetback. And that is a term that you hear and what a lot of people don't know about it i think i've probably mentioned this on the show before but like it i think it's so like telling about that word is that that's not a word that necessarily came from white people dehumanizing people of color like something like spick wetback came from uh like other mexicans who considered themselves Mm -hmm. above mexicans who swam the river to get into texas and southern california and shit like that and that like that's what's being embodied in this thomas character yeah that's the thing we never talk about in miami uh and we'll talk more about miami i guess a little bit later but in miami uh we used to call each other and people i guess refs right which is short for refugee right Uh but like basically a person who was a ref in miami in the 90s was a latino like you know miami's like majority latino so everybody's Latino, but then uh, ref is like literally what we would say, like just fresh off the boat, which is where that stupid name comes from for the TV show. Yeah. Because it's like literally a thing we would say about each other. So we are immigrants and children of immigrants, but we were categorizing other people as like so fresh <laughs> that you like dress wrong and you speak wrong and it's easy to tell that you're fresh. You know what I mean? And you're different than the rest of us. So those are refs, and that was the shorthand. So that is an internalization of, I guess, like the social hierarchy that we already understand in America. We start projecting it onto each other. Yeah. You get me? That's so it's weird. It's fucked up. <laughs> I, I had a friend who's Filipino growing up, and uh, him yeah. and his friends, what they would call each other, was FOB for fresh off the boat. So it's funny yeah. that like everyone has the same insult, but it's all a, yeah. a, a different word for it in every fucking community yeah. or whatever. Um, yeah, but like, uh, yeah, I really liked that movie, though. I thought, you know, other than the things I said about it, like that, that guy... He embodies like yeah, like you're saying the the agency and free will that people have in these situations, yeah. and like and like what side are you gonna p- choose? Yeah, yeah, and what I mean, it's great that he's barely in the movie too, because you only get a few things about him. You yeah. do get him at one point asking Beto like, uh, "Did you come here legally?" And then like he kind of like, yeah, gets and then shot. he's like, "Oh my bad, sorry about bringing that up." Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's like a faux pas or whatever. But then he's like, also the the one that uh, made the what's that water called? I forget. Agua Fresca. Like a, Agua Fresca. There we go. Yeah. So he's the one that was like, uh, oh, that's another thing that actually I think. So this movie was filled with so many things that I'm just like, oh, you just miss it. So the Agua Fresca thing was like, okay, so at the party where all the Mexican people are meeting and Diana and Beto are meeting the coworkers for the first time, 
they are serving agua fresca out of a big barrel, right? And she comments to Tomas how it's like so uh, to Thomas how it's so delicious, and so he's like, "Oh my god, I'll send you a barrel," right? He's like being he's basically the only one that was nice to her at the party. Oh right, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. So then he sends her the juice, uh, like a barrel of the juice to their house. And so in various scenes, we just see her continuously drinking the, the agua fresca. And then later when he's like, when he bursts in and he's like into the medical room and he's like shooting and revealing that he's a bad guy who was complicit in this getting all the Mexican women sterilized thing, scheme. He says, like he reveals that the reason that he gave everybody agua fresca was because he was like poisoning it with something so that it would make the women or like anybody feel bad enough to go to the doctor because immigrants don't go to the doctor unless they feel really really terrible oh, right. okay? yeah. so then he was like we they wouldn't come on their own to get sterilized unless they felt bad to begin with so thomas is this mexican descendant who is both bringing the women here and then facilitating that like further by poisoning them to go get um sterilized yeah so he is like man it's like a lot it's a it's um i i think the because it is a, all latino writers and directors and shit in this movie and i actually think that the critique of uh, us internally as Latinos is harsher than the critique of the system. Yeah. So, well, it's you know probably I mean? for the same reason that we call each other fobs and wet refs and, and, and shit. Yeah, shit exactly. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, exactly. <laughs> you get the same thing in like the black community where there's like, you know, a lot of leaders who are like, pull up your pants guys instead of. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or Chris rocks is like, uh, what is it? Black men versus N words. Yeah, yeah, there's, like, a lot of that shit. There's less of that that persists in the world than, like, you know, fight the power stuff anymore. That's yeah. considered, like, a relic of the past or whatever. But, like, fuck that. We should be fighting the power. But, um... Yeah, well, so, uh, I guess related to that, unless you have anything else to say about Madres, I was... Well, I was just going to say that, like, it oh, reminded yeah, me of... Because, I mean, I grew up, like, around, like... Tejano people like that where it was like mixed like that so it was all very accurate like the way people dressed and shit like that and one thing I thought that was it made me think about the election because this thing happened in the election where like a bunch of border towns went for um, Trump and they didn't flip mm -hmm. Texas or anything but like people were freaked out about it because from like the white American perspective what was alarming was like are we losing Latinos to Trump like to to Republicans because there was a sense of entitlement like no 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 those people vote for Democrats like they like things that we like and they hold these same values and like what I was told like Thomas Tomas Thomas Tomas whatever the fuck his name is you know this <laughs> mixed character that's like exists as this link between worlds he is that he's the explanation for that if you were confused about that that's what everyone is fucking doing to survive totally. Um, totally. And he is the, the Latino that works for ICE. He is, yeah. Yeah, and they're fucking, there's tons of those motherfuckers. The ICE is full of Latinos because it's full of this yeah. exact fucking thing, which is like, why be, become white and American to survive uh, rather than, you know, rather than uh, maintaining your like heritage or whatever. And it's yeah. in opposition to other Latinos, which is another thing that like, I think Americans and uh, when we look at like, 
other countries and we, we try to sum them up, especially like fucking liberals and shit, like try to sum up everyone as like, they're on our side of the fight for freedom or whatever. Like, dude, you there's a lot of who Latinos. Are who are you talking about exactly? Well, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. it's like within your own family, you're arguing about shit. There's, there's yeah. some that are on your side and there's some that aren't, you know, and then there's so yep. like that guy just represents like the a way that uh, even if everyone in his family is arguing at Thanksgiving about ice being good or bad or whatever, he's important <laughs> to look at because he's the one who's actually moving the gears of history by like buying into the system and doing things and shit. And it's eventually yeah. going to cause everyone to go in that fucking direction. Ah, okay. That's it. I'm done with Madres. It was a great movie. No, I agree. It's great. Everybody should watch it. Um, write to us if you have opinions and you think you saw stuff that you, we missed because uh, I do think it was extremely layered. Um, it maybe even, I don't know. I don't want to say it suffered from that, but maybe it's just a movie that merits multiple watches because it has several things going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. But um, kind of related to it, I wanted to bring up Starbucks. Uh, because I don't know if you saw that, uh, you know, they're trying to unionize in Buffalo, New York, um, and that it recently spread somewhere else, Mesa, where's Mesa, Arizona, I want to say? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So, um, it's basically up for vote, I think within a week or two, um, you know, if they get enough votes, then Starbucks has to like take them seriously and start a union or some shit like that. Okay. But I bring it up because um, I worked for Starbucks for like more than six years, right? And um, I worked at Starbucks at a time when I think it like shaped me as a worker, Jake. You know, like I was young. It was, um, I guess, my first serious job. I don't know how to explain it. Like I... uh, when I started there as a barista and I worked three jobs and I started college and then because I kept getting promoted at Starbucks, I was able to quit my other jobs, you know? And so Starbucks for me was this fucked up experience where I was kind of like being offered all constantly the position of being the Thomas. You get me? Yeah. Because I was like the high performing Beto. You understand? Yeah. But then for Thomas, uh, you, ch- you change your name to Louisa. Yeah, exactly. Louise. Exactly. <laughs> but it's because uh, it's even like, uh, I don't know. You probably don't listen to the Fuji's, but the Fuji's have a song where it's like uh, one of their lyrics is something. You do? You like it? I know a little Fuji's bit of Fuji's. Rule. Yeah. yeah, they rule. I'm Why? from Miami, so I'm fucking into it. One uh, time. But... One time. Everyone knows that one. <laughs> <laughs> There's one where uh, I want to say it is Wycliffe. Maybe it's Cross. I think it's Wycliffe where he's, he raps something where he says like, um, uh, a king, oh, that he's talking about working at Burger King, a king taking orders. Like, imagine that, a king taking orders. And then the boss at Burger King offers him a promotion. But the deal is you got to tell me who's stealing t- who's stealing fries on company time, right? And that's the rhyme. And he's like, no, sorry, not me. You got to find somebody else. Like, he's like, I'm not going to be a cop for you and fucking tell on who's like stealing fries or stealing time or whatever the fuck. And so Starbucks, for me, Jake, like, I don't know how to explain it. It was a double-edged sword. It was a thing where it was a really good place to work within the confines of capitalism. You understand me? So, like, Starbucks did things like, um, and please don't stop now because this is going to sound like this is just a prop, like propaganda for Starbucks to continue to the end, right? But, like, yeah. 
at the beginning, it was a, a, a no. And even now, like I have to say, it's better than most jobs, right? Because you could work there part time and have full benefits. Uh, my partner at the time had full benefits through me because Starbucks was the first corporation in America that recognized domestic partners Whoa. in order. Yeah. In order to subvert the fact that gay people could not get married at the time. So if you had a domestic partner, what they would do is like not ask the gender of that person. Uh, and then you would be allowed to give benefits to that person. So me as a solo poly <laughs> person, I was able to give benefits to my partner. And so we're a bunch of gay people. You know what I mean? Yeah. They gave me money, uh, like tuition reimbursement. You know what I mean? Which was like maybe like a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks every semester or something like that. But like. I'm fucking working at Starbucks to make it through college. Absolutely, this means a lot to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and add to that the fact that, like, I kept getting promoted. It, it did a lot of things for me where even where when I got into grad school and I got the job that I, quote, quote unquote, went to school for, I never, for 10 years, never got paid as much as I got paid at Starbucks. Okay? Mm -hmm. So... And then the other side of it is that I wasn't a Thomas in the sense of like, I was a good boss, which I know sounds like a fucking, <laughs> what is it? Uh, what's the contradiction? What is it? Uh, whatever. You know what I mean? But anyway, it sounds like it's not possible. And oh, oxymoron. Oxymoron. Thank you so much. And I just went to Miami and like literally all the people that I saw were people that I worked at Starbucks with. And, uh, you know, they're all still people who are working class, who are working other jobs, warehouses, you know, service industry, all different things like that. And they are my friends to this day because I always had their back. And so like I was the opposite of Thomas in the sense of like, I saw the system as not being my friend, but being something that I could manipulate in order to better my position and protect everyone who was dependent on me, right. To get into a better position. And because of that, I had very good relationships quote downwards, but then I've never been a friend of management, right? Like management always thinks I'm the troublemaker and they hate me and blah, blah, blah. But anyway, all of that is to say that this has been my experience where I like thought the company was good, but I had very bad bosses and I was in very bad situations very often, uh, whether it was because of management or because of really awful customers. It was a horrible, shitty, shitty fucking job. But in other ways, it was really fucking a good job. Right. And so today I saw that Howard Schultz. Hmm former presidential candidate, former head yeah. and founder of Starbucks. Howard, Howard. You have to run for president, Howard. Remember those videos? Yes. <laughs> Howard Schultz was the founder. He is the founder of Starbucks. He was also CEO during my time at Starbucks, Jake. So I had to listen to this motherfucker talk so many times, like all the time, training videos, fucking announcements, fucking meetings, like all the fucking time. So I'm looking at Twitter today and all of a sudden I see that this fucking guy has showed up at Buffalo for the vote or whatever, some meeting for the union. Right. Yeah. And he's doing this speech. And the part of the reason that came up in my thing is because means TV, they were making fun of it because he does this see, he does this speech where he's like, he starts talking about how 
people in Poland during World War II were being loaded onto trains. Okay. Okay, Jake, you're with me so far? I'm we're at the Starbucks Union vote. <laughs> but Howard Schultz is now talking about Polish Jewish people getting put on trains yeah. on the way to the Holocaust. That's insane. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> insane. Insanity. Uh, and he's doing this all with the cadence of the same way that he delivered every single speech about how we're providing the greatest experience in espresso <laughs> to be, you know, like the same fucking horrifying, like, just like, dude, do you even know what you're saying? I don't even know. So he proceeds to be like, he tells a story where he says, uh, you know, these Polish people, when they were getting put on these trains and they knew they were going to their deaths, they were given a blanket and they were told like, you get one blanket and you should share it with five people. So, you know what? Even though they were on a train and they were dying, they went out there and they shared their fucking blanket with five people. And nobody made them, you know? It's just because even in the worst situation, humans do the best that they can and they share their blanket with five people. And so he says something like, and that's what Starbucks has been doing all this time. We do our best to share our blanket with five people. Okay. So here's what this man is saying, because Means TV was making fun of it. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know, like, being like, what the fuck does this even mean? Yeah. And to me, what this is, is a Hobbes versus Rousseau. Joe, I was situation. just fucking <laughs> thinking about this. Yes. In which what our dear Mr. Schultz is doing is um, he is appealing. And so this is the thing that, like, uh, it just dawned on me today. It might be the key difference between conservatives and liberals. Okay. Yeah. Which is that conservatives are Hobbesians. Conser conservatives believe that humans are inherently avaricious and evil and selfish and terrible. And we're always going to... Um, side on our on like taking care of ourselves and our own and therefore we will fucking throw anybody else right. under the bus. you need civilization because before civilization man was na life was nasty brutish and short is the term he uses i exactly. just recently found somebody on twitter that's their profile because he's short and it's very funny <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly and so liberals are uh rousseauians is that how we would say it um because they purport to believe that humans are inherently good, right? And what Rousseau would say is like, oh, what Schultz was saying, right? That like left to our own devices, right? Outside of capitalism and uh, feudalism and the, the systems that, that we impose on ourselves and on each other, humans inherently are kind and helpful and loving and sharing. And generous, right? Yeah, this is also kind of like a lot of Marxist view of it, which I'm kind of a Rousseauian because that uh, yeah. primitive communism is a big concept in you know totally. getting back to the way things were before agriculture fucked everything up. Totally, actually, Gabe fucking told me that uh, sometimes when I talk, he thinks of Rousseau, and I'm like, oh fuck. <laughs> I mean, yes, but this is bad because what I'm here to argue, I guess, is that there needs to be a third way, right? Because uh, what Rousseau is saying, Schultz illustrates the downfall of that point of view for us, right? Because what Schultz is saying is, if you leave humanity to its own devices, we will do the right thing because we are inherently good, right? 
which for him translates, if you leave corporations to do the right thing because they're run by people, yeah. then they will do the right thing. I'm just going to point out, uh, there are people yeah. driving the trains in this metaphor, and I think that's the corporation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but but fucking, but you, you see what I'm saying about like why uh, Schultz was making the speech, right? Where what he was saying is like, like, basically, what he was trying to point out is that Starbucks is not the problem. There are so many worse corporations out there who are doing horrible things. They're actually bad, right? And Starbucks, we're good. We're run by people who are inherently good. We're trying to do the best. We give fucking gay people stuff. We give uh, part-time people stuff. We absolutely have multicultural ads and multicultural staffs. And, we, you know, like... That is what he's saying. Like, if you do not regulate us, we are inherently good. But then the threat implicitly is if you try to regulate us, a lot of these good things we do will go away because now you're trying to force us to give you good things. Oh, that's how he makes this an anti-union argument. Okay. Exactly. So he turns the idea that humans are inherently good into an anti-union argument. Right? Yeah. When it... So this is what brings me to there has to be a third way. And the third way has to be if humans are inherently good, which you and I both agree with, then there should be no conflict with codifying laws and systems into place that make sure everyone can live the best possible life. No? Yeah, sure. Right? Yeah. Except that that's not accounted for in either Hobbes or Rousseau. They want to, like, they both inherently, um, I guess, espouse a lack of laws and authority because they're trying to appeal to, like, the inherent nature of humanity. But they're both implying that whatever the inherent nature is, it doesn't need any kind of rules or systems or authority. And I don't think that that's correct. Well, isn't so Hobbes like, saying you absolutely Oh, he's saying that you need a lot, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that the reason that you need it is because we're bad, right. Yeah. Right. So then I guess I, I'm saying I we need it e- even if we're good or because we're good, we just need a different system. <laughs> I well, well, I mean, I think about it. <laughs> Hobbes and Rousseau are these opposing points of view that later yeah. are synthesized in something like Marx. So uh, the third thing I think is that it's to move past this. Cause I mean, but those pull points of view are basically happening around this time of the birth of modern liberal society. And there's two kind of ways of trying to, I, I'm so glad you brought this up. I literally just read a book about this and like how modern conservatism is related to conservatism of back then and, and liberalism. liberals and back then it's like the conservative point of view was you know what Hobbes is saying and what a lot of people especially people who were connected like the nobility and just positions of power um that were disrupted by the liberal revolution of the bourgeois like people that used to benefit from being you know in part of the kingdom you know uh would sort of say well um Actually, everyone feels like everything's been rattled, right? In that moment in time, I mean, everyone's consciousness is changing and stuff, and everything's changing. So people, if if they feel, they can't figure out if they feel good or bad because they're like, everything's changing. Like, oh, I feel there's an uncertainty in the air. So what, what the explanation that worked for a lot of people was, well, you know, back in the day 
when feudalism was a thing and when there was a king and stuff like that um sure it was unfair like to look at it just economically like yeah some people are poor and then some people are, are nobles or whatever but that order was like comfortable and this is a thing that you hear a lot like i mean fucking racists say this shit a lot in america about oh everyone liked it before the, where the every, slave liked it better when it, he had a house it, with a master he doesn't know yeah. what to do now you know he liked yeah. it back then it's a natural order of things yeah. right and then like liberals um the rousseau point of view was you know no actually uh Things were well. It's weird because things were good further back. So God, you're right; these things do overlap a little bit. But they're like primitive. No, but see, but okay, but the liberal thing is like it kind of goes back to uh, pull yourself up by your bootstrap shit because it goes back to like you should. We're inherently all good, but like we're not responsible for each other. I guess is my problem with it. Yeah, Rousseau's point of view of humanity only goes so far in, as in to say. That humans are inherently good, but it doesn't define that goodness in terms of our responsibility to each other. And I guess you're correct that that is what Marx does, that he then connects it to that. But I think because he made it so about economics and like heady philosophical shit, people have failed to connect this to the discussion of inherent humanity, right? Because I, you know, anthropologically speaking, I think that Marxism is the natural fucking form of human interaction and human transactions, you know, because the, the um, original covenant between humans that made us strong and made us an apex predator is our commitment to each other and to work as a group. And we're only as strong as our weakest link bullshit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So I guess what I'm saying is like, I think that's one of the failures of Marxism is that it didn't, it only translated it to this like intellectual and economic form and not to this like, let's talk about an essentialism of humanity thing, which I think is A, important and B, really appeals to people because people are into this fucking shit of like astrology and fucking, you know, everything that is about their essentialism. Yeah. So let's talk about how essentially humans, you are weak without each other. We need each other's social bonds and support and economic support like everything we need everything from each other well that's so why keep pretending we're these fucking islands and whoever's the strongest survives i don't know if this is specific to rousseau but like my last episode i was talking about the romantics like this is something yeah. that, that this these people talked about a lot which is that the so what happens when you have bourgeois revolution and all of a sudden everyone's an individual is that you have some people who believe this is going to make things great and yeah. everyone is the fucking god so many fucking comedians and dumbass people i know in the year 2021 believe this that the way towards happiness is because of these just incredible like because radical individualism <laughs> yeah and because individualism yeah. turns everything into a transaction we can transact our way into a mathematical outcome yeah. where everyone does a great time and yada 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 right so a lot of people even like on the left while that when the bourgeois revolution was happening were like it's gonna happen like okay this cool new thing is gonna happen and then what happens is that ends up creating like you know england in like the 1800s which is like terrifying like horrible horrible yeah. industrial stuff is happening all this shit doesn't end up working so then there's like a third conclusion that it's like that black and white episodes of the of uh uh Married with children. Do you remember? <laughs> no. Do they do like I'm Dickens sorry. shit or whatever? Dude, it's the, like, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but basically no, the, the Bundys win a 
uh, trip to England, to a town in England that they're supposedly from. But when they get there, it turns out that it is a town that is cursed and that it has only experienced darkness for like the last 50 years. (laughs) And so everything is in black and white. And then it turns out that it's uh, the only way that they can lift this curse is by killing the last living Bundy male. (laughs) So it's like a two or three part thing where the Bundys have to escape this place where they want a vacation to. But anyway, that rules. Continue. I'm going to have to rewatch that show because that show's so fucking funny. (laughs) It's so good. It really taught me everything I know about white culture. Go on. (laughs) But what I guess what I'm arguing is that a lot of people on on the Rousseau side of this argument, like, went through this process of thinking, like, individualism is going to be good and then going wait a minute it's fucking horrifying and then moving on to go okay so there needs to be a third thing here because the the movement isn't to go back there's no way to go back to pre-agricultural revolution so how do we then get from this situation we're in to like kind of infusing all this stuff and reify like reasserting our you know, yeah, the stuff you're talking about, the the primitive like bonds and shit that we had, the covenant, yeah, and like you know, with a lot of these romantic artists, like they were like hinting at it, like they were like getting there, and then I think this all leads historically towards fucking Karl Marx coming along and going, okay, so now we previously didn't understand history as a process. We heard, we used to think of it as um, then, then, then. And I've taken Hegel and I've taken all these philosophers and I've taken what I've, you know, political economy and Ricardo and all this shit. And I've figured out a way to explain that history is actually like a process where we are going to get to like, I mean, essentially a combination of the happiness that we had as primitive communists and the technological advancements that we had as bourgeois, you know, which also are things that are great. You know, I don't want to give up restaurants and shit like that. I love this shit. <laughs> so to yeah, I don't know. To me, I don't want to give up $3 million houses. I like them. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I want to, I want us all kidding. to live also, in them. I want a pool. I know. I know. I'm just kidding. Listen, it's fine. I'm, totally <laughs> I'm a fucking champion communist. I want us all yes, to live in Yes, me too. Totally. Are you kidding shit, me? I just paid a bunch of money to move up to business class, <laughs> even though all I get is six extra inches leg room. But so how does this, communism, baby. <laughs> how does this come back to, to what fucking Schultz was saying, though? Because like, oh, um, well, just because of this, because um, so I brought it up only because of two things. One is that it was interesting that um, like the liberalism, uh, the example of this liberalist uh, posturing of their belief and their hope in humanity being then maliciously, honestly, uh, turned around as a reasoning for not wanting to do something that is socially good, right? And it just felt like something for me to bring up, not not just because of the language that was so clearly manipulative and exemplar of this thing, but also because I really was that person, Jake. Like, I was in it, and... You know, I hired fucking hundreds of people probably to work for Starbucks. I opened like a lot of stores. (laughs) I opened a lot of Starbucks around the country. I, uh, to this day, am a manager in the way that they taught me to be a manager. And a lot of, uh, I got a lot of good. I got fucking health insurance for the first time in my life, I think, when I went to work to start work at Starbucks. Um, I don't know. And so I was a person who used to kind of like 
not proselytize or however you say that, but like, I did have this belief that if more corporations, and I'm saying this now as a, I'm fully aware that I was wrong, right? Yeah. But I had a belief when I was younger, right? When I was like, because I worked there probably like 20 to 26 or something like that, 21 to 27, something like that. And I really did have this belief that like, if all the corporations in America held themselves to the standards that Starbucks held itself to, then like capitalism wouldn't be that bad, right? But listen to that sentence, right? <laughs> that sentence inherently acts as though, I know inherently is the fucking word of the episode, but whatever, shut up, write me an email. Uh, it, it just shows that the language of like corporations are people has kind of like infiltrated our minds, right? Because we keep wanting to frame corporations as being bad or good as though they have intentions. You understand me? Yeah. And they're not. Their intentions are to be profitable. There is no other intention. And so when somebody like Howard Schultz tells you that they do good things for their workers out of the goodness of their heart, it is not out of the goodness of their heart. It is because it is profitable for them to position themselves that way and frame it that way. And it is also profitable for them to stop you from forming a union, right? By threatening you by of like possibly taking away whatever benefits you currently have that's not inherently good (laughs) that's not a nice person saying that shit to you that's a fucking threat so it's like no you can't just sit there and be like oh capitalism would be better if everybody was like slightly nicer and they wanted to be better and we just trusted them all to be nice bosses it's not going to happen and jake i have literally never had a job that gave me as many benefits as starbucks has never in my 40 years and yet, I'm telling you, it is evil of this man to frame what they do as like, we do it out of the goodness of our own heart. And if you unionize, you're threatening that and you might lose the benefits we currently give you. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've had this conversation with like small business owners before where I'm yeah. like, you know, I I mean, that's a that's a, a, a real relatable thing that a lot of people who work in like restaurants and bars and small businesses and stuff you know, have these heart to hearts with the owner who's like telling you this. And I think it's a much more convincing argument when that person is like, look, I am just trying my best. And this is a situation that we're all in. But with Starbucks, I think I feel like I need to remind everyone in this moment, like, let's apply the Rousseau thing to this. This is kind of absurd, actually, that totally. Okay, people are pure. Um, you know, but then this thing comes along called capitalism, which creates a thing called Starbucks that everyone is now in. Um, we all just have to get along with this situation because I guess what he's arguing is that the fact that Starbucks exists and is a thing that uh, is profit motivated, that's a fact of life. So it's not going away. It's an inevitability. So, But he's arguing they're good. But let me finish. There right? are other. Okay. Let, so – Right, exactly. So he's yeah. saying it's inevitable that this exists, but as long as we all agree that it's inevitable that we have to be running this totally. company, we're going to do it in the most ethical way possible because we're we bring more humanity to it than Halliburton or whatever, right? And that's like exactly. silly uh because of what everything we Even if discussed. it's true, it's silly. Yeah. But, but then he's talking about unions, which are also historical inevitability and saying no, 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 but true. if this comes in 
this is unnatural and this is something yeah. like why aren't you talking about the union the same way you're talking about Starbucks which is that it is like totally. a fact of life that we all have to fucking work around like it's weird yeah. that he's presenting or that, that it, or that it's natural or inherently human and positive to want to organize together to make sure everybody benefits from the organization yeah. and the agreement <laughs> the know? secret like, implication is that yeah. he's implying that starbucks formed organically out of people's goodwill and all this stuff and totally. it's fucking good and fine or whatever but yeah. like a union is unnatural it's like no fucking unions as natural as the goddamn business yeah. so i think he's being Absolutely. a dumbass Absolutely. I totally agree. Oh, um, the other thing oh, I was going to say yeah. is that um, this is all very weird considering that he did run for president. So, like, <laughs> his intention, he's sitting here saying, oh, my intentions are only to get everyone who works at Starbucks to Google, get along. And, you know, we only we're here just to make uh, coffee for people. And then everyone who works here have a good experience. No, you have political ambitions, clearly. And I Not doubt just that that they're good but he was sent there but jake he was sent okay so like uh part of the union busting that starbucks is accused of is that in the last few months it has been sending like i don't know how to say like um star managers i don't know how else do you say it? like important managers and district managers and shit mm -hmm. to the stores that are rumored to be unionizing to do like meetings and speeches of this same kind of shit where they're being like look and like starbucks is so good to you why would you ever want to like create this uh antagonistic fucking force that will force us to take away all the nice things we do to you and so starbucks gets accused of union busting in a way where they're like sending overly influential people to union meetings to try to keep people from voting for unions and then they literally send Howard Schultz who is no the founder ex-CEO no longer works at Starbucks I guess he's retired after running for president I don't know what this fucking guy is doing every day yeah but here he is at a store in Buffalo or like a meeting in Buffalo doing this dumb fucking speech about Polish Holocaust victims so how is that not you sending like your most visible fucking talking piece to try to dissuade people from joining the union, not union busting? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Uh, you know what's crazy about it, this? Yeah. Like sometimes with this stuff, I wonder how much money would they actually lose if they just gave the union like their demands because it sounds like they're spending a, i don't think it's about the money dude that's what I think that's it's exactly about, but that's yeah. what i'm saying like sorry I, I think it's about the grandstanding of like uh if we let any workers anywhere believe that they can demand anything no, that's, it's a slippery slope that's that's what i'm saying so you have yeah. situations where corporations will actually spend more money union busting than they would yep. have spent had they just given you like your own power health insurance because yeah, exactly. because it's not just the health insurance it's the power yeah. right so like with billionaires yeah. you always have this thing where you know Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or whatever will say like oh no no you don't need to tax me because I do all this charity like I yeah. and, and like a lot the Elon Musk's idea of the way the world should work is that since he's proven himself to be really smart by having all this money, which I know is bullshit, but like since that, look, that's what we're going off with his assumption. So smart, effective, productive people like him that are like super producers or whatever should be in charge of 
allocating with their own personal will where the money goes and how to make society better. That's like what he always goes off about on Twitter when he's fucking drunk yeah. or whatever, which is, um, you know, when Bill Gates donates money to these foundations and stuff, A, they're dark money foundations and the money goes back to him or whatever and it's tax shelter. But B, like it, the other – what you're not seeing is that the other option is that same money gets given to – like the government, which is theoretically <laughs> um, then dem yeah. democratically voted on, and the people get to decide how to allocate their own fucking yeah. money, which is the same situation with like the Starbucks thing, where it's like, would you be that upset if we all you gave me money and I could get to go choose my own insurance instead of having yeah. to go with the Starbucks one? But the answer is yes, because that's a slippery slope and it leads to more and more worker you're power. Gonna ask for more shit, yeah. Which you exactly. deserve, like fuck you, you know. Totally, you because you don't make money without me. You're not period. God. You yeah. make coffee. Fuck yeah. you. Suck my dick. You know. Yeah, dude. I literally ran what was called million dollar stores, Jake. Do you know what a million dollar store is? No. <laughs> A million dollar store is a store that makes one million dollar profit per quarter. So after operating expenses and everything, you yeah. rake in one million dollars worth of stupid Frappuccino sales four times a year. That's insane. Yeah. In one store. And so that's why they're like, yeah, you get a bonus and you get promoted and then you get to watch everyone else and tell us who's stealing the fries on company time. That's <laughs> to, crazy. To call it back to the Fugees. Uh, but anyway, this this fucking episode went long as fuck. Yeah. I'm glad that I didn't get into talking with my R-word loving working class friends <laughs> from Miami. <laughs> uh, that's a whole other conversation. It's also honestly. We're going to keep it. Yeah, we're going to keep that one on the Patreon. <laughs> that's a conversation from the year 2015 so i don't really yeah need to have exactly um but if you have anything to say to us about madres about starbucks about unionizing about rousseau and hobbs about what else did we talk about whatever man write to us at uh why you mad pod at gmail.com i think we're gonna do a patreon episode now next yeah yeah Please? sure whatever no? Yeah. So sign up. You can pay anything from a dollar to whatever the fuck you want because we're communist and we don't believe in the dollar in the dollar value, but we do have to exist in capitalism. So whatever you can give, great. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, that's it. I got nothing to plug because I'm not doing shows for the rest of the year. What about you? Same. <laughs> yes. Uh, so just, just listen to PDA, Pod Damn America. Uh, and follow us on Twitter. Yeah, That's it. my only thing is just please sign up for the fucking Patreons. I don't. I need you. I need your money. I am a. I'm not. I'm a burger monarchist. I need to eat it, Burger <laughs> King. <laughs> That's it. A king. A king taking orders. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Bye. Bye.